Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be back here. I love Hope. I love Marshall and Justin. And uh, I love you guys. I'm excited to be with you today. Um, one of my, uh, my favorite people that I've never met is uh, Bill Murray. I don't know if you have any Bill Murray fans in the room, but uh, I love Bill Murray. I love uh, uh, some of his more obscure works like uh, uh, What About Bob and uh, Groundhog Day. There's some, some great uh, films. Uh, if you haven't seen them, you should check them out. But I love, uh, more than that, I really love how, uh, how down-to-earth uh, Bill Murray is. Uh, there was a documentary that came out a couple years ago that's called uh, The Bill Murray Stories, the, the Life Lessons Learned from a Mythical Man. It's, on the cover, it's got him as like the, um, uh, like the Yeti or something his, with Bill Murray's face on there. And really, the documentary, it, it, uh, it, it chronicles multiple stories that have, have kind of surfaced about his antics. And um, some of them border on urban legend, like, you know, it's really not, you know, we're, we won't know if they're true or not. Uh, some of them have been captured on social media, so there's a little bit of evidence, but we really don't know which ones have, are actual true and which ones aren't. But, I mean, they range from all sort of things. There was one where he uh, wandered into a fraternity party and started doing the dishes and just, just put on gloves and started doing the dishes. And this guy came in and said, are you Bill Murray? And he said, yes, I am. And he goes to like get his friends and then Bill Murray slips out the door. And so you don't know if that ever happened or not. Um, he's, there's been multiple sightings of him riding a child's bike through uh, several branches of Walmarts. And um, one in 2006, it was in Southfield, uh, Michigan, a man named Jake was uh, was interviewed, and he said that the guy had a uh, was wearing an obviously heavily used fireman's uniform, complete with an oxygen tank, and uh, he's just riding around Walmart. Um, he crashed a bachelor party um, back in 2014 and gave an impromptu speech that kind of went went viral. Uh, he's he's known for photo bombing uh, a couple's engagement photos that same year. In 2014, 2010, he decided to become an impromptu bartender, and no matter what someone would come up and order, he would give them a shot of tequila. Uh, and, and there's several reports of him doing things like stealing someone's potato chip and then saying, no one will ever believe you. Uh, and so as he walks away, and he's just kind of this mythical guy. He's, he's got, he has no agent. Um, if you want to work with Bill Murray, you have to call 1-800 number. And then if he likes your, your voicemail, then he'll call you back and then he'll, he'll work with you. So he, he just, he's just a, a legendary dude. And what I love about, uh, about Bill Murray is he's just this guy that kind of walks through life and he always feels like he's just radically present. You know, um, he's you know, in a world where celebrities are kind of aloof and sort of not really with it in terms of what's going on in society. Bill Murray just seems to kind of be a normal guy that just kind of walks around and he's just in the nor in the present. Whatever he's doing, uh, he's just in the present moment. And um, in a world where we're constantly escaping whatever moment we find ourselves in uh, and traveling somewhere else, somewhere else on our phones or in our minds, uh, Bill Murray seems to be the kind of guy who just lives right where uh, the moment has him. And I went back, and this is this week is really significant. I went. I don't know why I still have this mask on. I'm like adjusting my mask. Um, and I uh, I went back and I looked at this week's uh, 
NBC, this is really serious what I'm about to say, so it's funny, I was making that joke before, but um, went back and looked at one year ago today, so uh, March 14th, 2020, and what was on the news for NBC that day, and I watched um, that, and what really struck me is it said, there was three things, one says, confirmed COVID cases in every state except West Virginia, that was on the news, um, New York's first death. And then secondly, 50 de deaths nationwide. And just to bring you all up to speed, I mean, this changed since I wrote this on, I think I was writing this on Thursday, and I had to update it just a few minutes ago, because it's 29.4 million confirmed cases now of COVID and 534,000 deaths of COVID this year. Um, and to say, I mean, to come with this text of do not be anxious about tomorrow for each day has enough trouble of its own, I mean, that's... That's just a really hard pill to swallow after the year that we've all just had. Um, I, I think that we all wish we could live as in the moment as Bill Murray is and just kind of float through life and, you know, find humor in even the ordinary things like stealing someone's potato chip or um, something like that. But how can we possibly do that after the year we just had? Um, after everything that's happened in one year's time, uh, it's just really hard to think about doing that. And I think the only answer that's, that's really big enough uh, for the, the moment that we find ourselves in today is the gospel. Um, it's our adoption as sons and daughters of God. That's the only thing that's going to be secure enough to bring us through the year that we've just had. And so in many ways, this, this text from uh, this, this, this evening is very appropriate I think it's very timely and sort of meets us where we are, but it's also a really hard saying uh, coming off the year that we just had. And so what I, I think, I hope we, we will see tonight is because of the gospel that we've been adopted as sons and daughters of, of God, um, we can trust him to provide for us and we can trust and provide, he can provide for us uh, his presence in each and every moment that we find ourselves in. So um, that's, that's really what I'm, I'm praying happens tonight. Matthew 6, 34, uh, very short text. And I'm going to allude to a little bit of what's going on before this, but really just want to like, really focus on the future. So it's Matthew 6, 34. Um, it says this, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for just this group of people. Um, Father, for this, this is my first time here in this church, um, in this building, and just thank you for providing a place for this um, flock of people who I love so much, uh, for them to worship. And I just pray for also all the people who are worshiping online and um, in their homes. I just ask that you would bless each and every one of us where you have us right now. And that you would continue um, to make your presence known here in this uh, part of Lexington through this group of people and all the relationships that we have. Um, would you help us to focus on what you've given us today and to keep coming back day after day for more and more of your grace? Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So really just have two points. Um, the problem of our anxiety uh, and the prescription for our anxiety. So the, the problem of our anxiety 
really focus on two things, just control, I think it's one uh, major problem we have, and then forgetfulness. Um, those are the two on, on the problem of our anxiety. So control. Um, tr- uh, you know, when you read this passage, we really see that we're troubling ourselves with things that we have no control over. Um, we're, we're seeking to try to control what's going to happen tomorrow uh, when really we can't at all. We have no control over what's happening tomorrow. Uh, one of the, the commentators I was reading this week says, Anxiety is created primarily by the very real possibility that such arrangements will let us down. There will be a drought. Uh, there will be a global pandemic. It's not written here, but that's, that's there. Um, our supplies will be destroyed. We will be robbed. The promise of God's provision involves a, a promise to deliver us from the consequences of such eventualities as they press on us on a daily basis. Um, we, we all want to control what's going to happen next. And what God's calling us radically to is to just live in light of what we can see, which is the present moment we find ourselves in. Um, to, to not control, try to control the future, but to really just live where he has us. And I'll talk more in the second point about what I think might be the antidote to control, but we'll just kind of leave you there. Um, the next is forgetfulness. And this one is, I think, forgetting that God is our father and that he cares for us. So that he's our father and that he cares for us. He's our father is really clear in the, in the verses leading up to this. So I kind of skipped the, um, the, the other section that was sort of leading into this final kind of summation of what um, what's, what's talking about with the, about the future. But it says very clearly, Jesus says that he is our father in verse 26 and verse 32. Um, and he, he compares them to people who don't really live like he's, he's their father. Or the Gentiles who, are, um, who wouldn't call God their father. But that for us, he is our father. And that's very important because um, when we can approach God as our father, then that changes the whole perspective of how we are able to in- interact with this passage. Because tomorrow, when it says tomorrow will worry for itself, like that's not really true. Uh, <laughs> But if God is our Father and He's walking with us in, in, the, in each and every moment, then that is true. Then tomorrow will uh, worry for itself because He'll be with us tomorrow as well. Um, and what He's calling us to is really just to live in light of what we know today. So, it, but you know, John one twelve. I love sharing this with my kids. They're very young. I have a five, three, and one year old. So I try to think about the, the Bible verses that are just as clear as could possibly be. And this one is. John 1, 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Um, Ephesians 2, 13, in, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then in Galatians 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Um, this, this fact that God is our father is just something that is kind of as Christians, we just sort of you know, glass over. Uh, but it's, you have to realize that that's the thing that I think gives 
this passage in 34, all its meaning. If we don't realize that God's our Father, it's, this passage is just kind of like proverbial, proverbial wisdom. Um, it's not really that, that impactful or helpful. But if we see that God is our Father, then we can bring that into this, this moment. Um, and it's really, it's really important to understand that He is our Father, that we've been adopted as sons and daughters of the King. And therefore, in, that's how we, cannot, we don't have to worry about tomorrow because we have a great provider. Um, we have one that will sustain us. Um, John Murray says, No approach to God partakes of comparable intimacy, confidence, and love with that of the simple yet unspeakably eloquent Abba Father. Um, the other thing I, I think that's important for us to see in this and is that fathers, our Heavenly Father provides for His children. So three things that you'll see in the, the verses that are preceding this um, that I think really kind of you know, have an importance for even the, the pastor we find ourselves in, is that he feeds us. Um, there's a connection with the Lord's Prayer. And at the beginning of chapter 6 in Matthew, it's the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and then it moves into this section about do not be anxious about today. And he talks about all the things about today. And then now this passage where it says do not anxious, be, be anxious about tomorrow. Um, and it's, it's interesting. I had noticed this. I hadn't really thought deeply about this until this week. This is Give us this day our daily bread. Um, and so it's not asking for this day and then also the days to come. It just says just this day. Uh, we're just really focusing on what we're asking God of God for this day. Um, and then it, I, I was reminded of the passage that, uh, that, that we had read for the Old Testament reading in Exodus where God provided for them what they needed each day. Um, and, and verse 4 says, And the people shall go out and gather a, day, a day's portion every day. And so it, it's just this principle of coming back to the Lord daily for just what we have for that day. And not trying to store up for days to come. But really just coming for that one day. Um, I even was reminded of like, if you've ever been to a 12-step meeting or ever had someone that, a loved one that was a part of that. Um, now there's a saying, there's several good sayings of those things, but one they say is, um, is keep coming back and work it. It works if you work it. And I thought about that as I was driving here today and, and praying for this, just that's really what the Christian life is. is just keep coming back. It works if you work it. Um, you really can't think about like years and years ahead of time, but really just focusing on this is what God has for me today. Um, this is what I'm coming Coming to today. So he provides for us. He feeds us. He quenches our thirst. Um, three, he clothes us. Genesis 3, 21, I was reminded about in the, the, one of the first things God does for Adam and Eve right after they sinned is it says in verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Um, and then lastly, fathers delight in our children. Um, we are beautiful to him. He, um, he doesn't just put up with us. He's proud of us. He's brimming with delight over us. Um, as I right before I came here, I was at a, a, a two-year-old's birthday, and just a friend of ours, and we were—I think the only people that were invited were Josh and I, because like something about this COVID thing, they could only invite like the pastors and the granddads and stuff like that. So we like came to this thing, and it was like granddads and dad, and everybody was so proud of the the little two-year-old, um, and I think that's. A lot of times we forget that that's really the way the Lord sees us. Is He's so proud of us. He's not just putting up with us. 
He's not like, man, I just, you know, your personality is a little bit annoying, uh, but I guess y'all keep you around. Like he's really, he delights in who we are as people. He doesn't just put up with us. Um, and so all those lessons about fathers that he feeds us, he provides for us, he cares for us, um, all those things we've got to read in this passage. If we don't, we won't understand what this will mean. That we don't, that, that tomorrow will worry for itself or sufficient is, each, is uh, the troubles of each day. Um, but I think we find ourselves living as insecure children. Um, seeking to plan our futures, cushion our lives from the blows of life. Um, and so the question I have for us is, how have you sought to control your life? What have been ways, maybe subtle ways, um, that you've sought to control your life? When you realize you're going to get a $1,400 check, uh, in the mail, this is all hypothetical, this thing just happened this week. Uh, <laughs> my wife and I did get into a big uh, conversation about this um, before we came. But what, what made you, what, what did you want to do with that money, like right when you first realized you were going to get that? Um, that would be like a way maybe that you were going to try to control your life. Um, where in your life are you living as an orphan rather than a son or daughter? Um, maybe, maybe, a, maybe living as an employee of, of God rather than as, a, as seeing him as a father. Um, that those are great questions to be asking yourself to apply. How, how am I seeing this problem of anxiety in my own life? And um, for, for a lot of us, I, mean, I, was, I, was, I was mindful of just how many people I know that are struggling with like, chronic anxiety. Um, and this isn't just to, for someone from some pastor to say, uh, do not be anxious. You know, it's like, oh, thanks. Thanks for pointing that out. I'll get right to that. <laughs> uh, so like when I say like the prescription for anxiety, it doesn't mean I, I think like this. Just apply this, and it'll everything be magically, you know, magically be gone. But I just think like from this passage, what we see as the solution, and there's, there's two things I think. So the prescription for our anxiety, um, one is humility, and I think this really is the opposite of control. And humility is one of those things that you can say, hey, you should pursue humility all you want, and it's it really it humble. It happens to you more than you run after it. Um, but I think the, the things I've seen as as little sayings that are that help me remember how how humble I am before the Lord um, that that humble me before the Lord is that God is God and I'm not Him. I have to tell myself that all the time. I don't know, but if you guys that's helpful for you or not, but maybe you realize that God's God and you're not Him. But I have to tell myself that all the time. Um, I think another, another one is I can only be one place at one time. Uh, that is, that's really humbling, um, especially when, we, when your phones have, tell you a different message. <laughs> and that's, you can be so many different places at once. Um, but in all reality, you really can only be at one place at one time. Um, and you can't be multiple places at the same time. And so I think humility applied is this, pres this practice of presence. It's really occupying the space that God's called you to in that very moment. Um, and it's being right where God has us. It's slowing down. It's listening. Um, it's, it's, it's experiencing and savoring the day or the moment that he has us in. Um, I, I really have struggled with this in the last few months. Um, I don't know if it's been the pandemic or if it's just been where I am in life. But like something about planning a church is all future oriented. Like. 
you know, we hope families show up and we hope we find a place to worship and we hope that I have, you know, a paycheck one day and <laughs> all those things. It's all these like hopeful things, like that's all in the future. And I have struggled with that. And I don't know if you guys live that way in, uh, in your day to day, but I've really struggled with anxiety and about this. And I think it's because I just ha- I haven't practiced this, this presence of just being right now with my five and three and one year old and being right now. And I, don't, I haven't planned the church yet. Um, I'm still finishing my last class of seminary. And that's okay. And I can just be right in that moment rather than trying to be where I'm at, where I will be next. Um, and so that's that's something that I've been, been struggling with, but I think is something that we all should should pursue is, is that humility of just being right where God has us. Now, my wife is the opposite of me, so I really probably do live more in the present in my when I'm like living in the spirit than than the future. My wife's the opposite. She probably lives way more in the future. She's the planner. Um, that love language thing, like that was, I said, like her love language was planning, uh, you know, or efficiency. And, uh, and so she's very much more like future oriented. And so I had this, this thought is like, what does practice, the practice of presence, what does it not mean? Okay, so three things I think it does not mean. One is living recklessly. So you're familiar with the YOLO thing uh, a few years ago where you just eat a whole you know, sleep Oreos like YOLO. That's not what I think this is. Like live in the present. Uh, I don't think it's it's a it's a you know wanting you to live recklessly. Um, I think another thing it's not is not having drive or ambition. It doesn't mean that when you like practicing the presence uh, of, of Christ, like living in the moment. I don't think it means that you don't have any kind of drive or ambition. Um, it also means that there that you're not you're not not planning. So Proverbs four says. Uh, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. So there is a sense of pondering the path of my feet. Um, Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of, of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his footsteps. So there's a sense of that we do plan. We do ponder the, the path of our feet. We do plan our way. And yet the Lord directs our footsteps. The Lord is the one who will bring about what will happen in the future. Um, and it's not really for us to determine what's going to happen tomorrow, but we certainly have to, to, uh, to plan for that. So I hope that's encouraging. If there's a couple people who are really super planners and you're like, this passage isn't really a good one for me, you understand, i got to think about tomorrow. <laughs> uh, awesome. But at, at the end of the day, live in light of what you know, which is today, and let God deal with tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow. So the last thing I think that has to do with the prescription for anxiety is remembering. And it's to remember that we are but children. And as, as um, Justin said, that we are in, in need of the love and the attention of our Father. We are, are truly needy each and every day, moment by moment. Um, Psalm 103 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And I love this in verse 14. It says, for he knows our frame. It means he's, he, he's very acquainted with who we are. He knows us fully. Um, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. So God remembers 
us. He remembers that we really are just dust. And that we, even in our most beautiful moment of our life, when we're flourishing, when we're like the, the grass of the field, the flowers of the field, the truth of our, about our lives is that the wind will blow over us and our, our place will remember us no more. Um, and so that is very humbling, as we said in the, uh, the first part here. And it's also, it's very, it's like every moment is packed with meaning because we really get to be about the flourishing of God's glory and his name being remembered, and our name really kind of be, being forgotten. And so that's very humbling, and it's also very much in line with what we are as children of God. It's remembering that we are children of God, and that our whole purpose really is just to reflect the glory of him, because his name will be remembered, our name will be forgotten. Uh, and that is, that is humbling, but it's also packed with meaning. We have so much, we have such a high calling to, to be about his name being remembered. So we must believe that um, the gospel we have been adopted as children of God, and therefore we can live in the present moment we occupy with the full confidence that God will walk with us today and He walk with us tomorrow. Um, one, one thing that I, uh, I found recently that I thought was really cool, um, and some of y'all might think this is cool, some of you might think this is kind of nerdy, but there's a, 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 a theologian named B.B. Warfield. So, B.B. Warfield was one of the last great Princeton theologians. Um, he served as, as the principal of Princeton Theological Seminary for, for 44 years. Um, when he died, the Presbyterian Church described his loss as irreparable, irreparable um, and described him as probably the most distinguished and learned theologian of the Reformed faith in our day. Um, well, guess where B.B. Warfield was born? Uh, it's a place called Grasmere Farms, and it was near Lexington. Um, we look up near his, his biography, you, you hear that, Grasmere Farms, and like, where's Grasmere Farms? So I start looking into it, and I find out that it's actually um, this neighborhood kind of right this way. Um, that's not, that's a picture I'll show you later. <laughs> uh, don't worry, we're getting there. Uh, but... <laughs> It's, uh, it's the Warfield Family Farm, and it ran from Bryant Avenue down Loudoun and over to Meadow Lane. Um, basically, B.B. Warfield was born in the neighborhoods of this church, the neighborhoods that we, we're seeking to reach with the gospel um, here at, at Hope. And I just thought that was unbelievable uh, for a couple reasons. One is I love the idea of thinking that we stand on the shoulders of other people's prayers who've gone before us, who've prayed for tomorrow. Um, and the tomorrow is our today. And I love thinking that B.B. Warfield, one of the, this guy who was just this great theologian, um, had, had prayed for this, uh, this church and that we might be the, the fruit of, of his prayers. Uh, and one of the quotes I want to share that he speaks to this topic directly, he says this, The thing for us to do is to pray without ceasing. Once having come into the presence of God, never leave it to abide in his presence, and to live steadily, unbrokenly, consciously, in the midst of whatever distractions or trials, with and in him, God grant such a life to every one of us. Be Warfield. Um, he, he, he says to abide in the presence of God, to live pre in the present, um, to live with God in the present, is really the thing that he's, he's hope, hopes all people live in light of. 
this is a guy that, that really wanted to, to see the, the glory of God here specifically in this, in this part of the, the country. So by application, where does God have you? Um, what would it look like for you to live in his presence today? Um, what would he want you to do today? Not thinking about tomorrow, but just living in light of what, where he has you today. Um, so in a recent interview with Bill Murray, he's asked the question, um, is there a moment in your life when art has mattered for you? Uh, and, and if so, how has it made a difference in your life? And Murray described a time when he first began acting in Chicago. And he, uh, he said, I wasn't very good. Uh, he said that one night he was so bad that he just walked off the stage and just started walking down the street. And he said, after walking several hours, uh, I realized I was walking in the wrong direction. Uh, not just the wrong direction in terms of where I lived, but the wrong direction in terms of my desire to stay alive. Um, he thought about getting uh, into the lake as he was walking, I guess, near Lake Michigan. And he thought about just getting in the lake and just kind of floating away. Um, and instead, he walked up to uh, the, the Art Institute of Chicago. And he decided to walk in. And he was a poor actor, and so he, there was like a place to make a donation. He just kind of skipped that part and just walked in. And when he walked in, he walked into this painting. And the painting was called The Song of the Lark. And now you can show it. Okay, great. Um, and he said, Murray says that he saw this, this girl. And he said, well, look, there's a girl who doesn't have a lot of prospects. Uh, but the sun's coming up anyway. And she's got another chance at it. And that made me think, I too am a person and get another chance at it every day that the sun comes up. Um, and I just think that this applies to this passage. She's standing there in a field, empty field, doesn't have a lot of prospects. But what's so clear is that the sun's coming up and she has a new day that's before her. And with every new day, with every sunrise, we get a new chance at it. And... Uh, I wonder if that experience that, that Bill Murray had with this painting, I wonder if that, that shaped the life um, of him now as an old man. Um, I wonder if that's why he's, he's just this old man who now kind of lives this radically present life. Um, and I wonder what it might look like for us to live a life that are, that's full of hope and that each day provides as we live as sons and daughters uh, of the King. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for uh, your word, for how, how clear it is to us and how simple, but yet how profound. Lord, that we are, are called not to be anxious about tomorrow, that each day has enough trouble of its own, and yet the, how hard that is to do, how hard that is to live in light of what you've, you've told us. But God, I thank you that you are our Father, that you walk with us and live in each and every moment that we have. And I pray that we would practice your presence, that we would be uh, keenly aware of you being with us in each moment, and that we would stop and slow down and just live in light of where you have us today. Um, help us to, to believe and to trust that we have been adopted as sons and daughters of, of the King, that because of the blood of Christ, we who once were far off have been brought near, um, that by receiving Jesus, we have become sons and daughters. 
and that that position allows us to have be full of joy, full of peace, and be fully present in the moment that you have us in. God, in a year that it's been so hard to plan for the future, it's been the even the thoughts of the future bring so much anxiety. I just ask that this would be a year that we would move more into your presence um, each and every day. And that we would just trust that you are with us and for us and you will sustain us and help us to keep coming back every day for the bread of life. Um, we'll pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.